Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of His Only Vice, the film podcast where we discuss the movies that shaped us. You guys have heard that before. Listen, y'all, I am up at midnight my time because I am here <laughs> with one of my favorite Los Angelinos, the person who gave me my podcasting start, the person who I talk about movies with in depth more than anyone else in my life. Please welcome onto the pod and into your ears. Oh, hey, oh, hey, what's up? Wow, that was that was some intro. <laughs> well, hey, the, the best for the best. You guys don't, oh, you guys don't you. understand. When me and O met, we instantly started bonding over movies. It was like, oh, I'm Dylan. Oh, yeah, That's I'm true. O. Great, let's start talking about movies. It was like, yeah. it was literally instant. It's like I had this theory where you can spot another a movie person from like a mile away. I don't mean just someone who's casually into movies, but like you, you can just spot the right, the right person, you know? <laughs> and I'm wearing, I'm wearing a Tony Collette shirt right now. So. I see it. I, I love it. I don't want to say anything. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I'm wearing your traditional Pakistani clothes for right before bed. So. Uh, <laughs> oh yes. Love that. <laughs> not, love very, that. not very glamorous, but. Um, um, oh, how are you? How are you surviving quarantine? I'm doing well. First of all, great honor to, to, to be on here. I feel like I was here just uh, back when we were working together in, in New York. Uh, I, I was kind of getting like the sort of uh, beginnings, murmurings of maybe you might wanting to start something uh, like a podcast. And I feel like I was I was there in, in the beta phase. And then you now, really then, were. Yeah. And then and then now it's off and running and it's, it's become very successful. And I enjoy listening to it. It's one of, one of my favorite pods. I I listen to it much more than I listen to my own podcast. So <laughs> Action Orson, check it out, check it out. Oh, um, oh I've, I've gassed <laughs> you up on this podcast before. Yes, actually, I think maybe the last episode I was just giving you and Carter a shout out because I was like, listen, I don't know if the Booksmart episode of your podcast still exists, but I was, on, I was on that podcast talking about that movie, talking about XYZ. These people gave me my start. This is my <laughs> podcasting birth mother. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, I mean, Carter and I always always uh, talk about your podcast as kind of like um, a, a sibling podcast of ours, you know, like, like we're kind of like part of the same family. I, I always felt that way, at least. And now it's great to kind of be on it. Yeah, um, so to, happy to have you here. I can't express to listeners how much O knows about movies and how uh, much I want to reach that level. So I'm so happy it, that you're here. It's, it's because I have no life, folks. That's why I, <laughs> I you know. Same, same. Um, no, to answer your earlier question about about you know, how much I mean, I, you know, I have I have a family, a wife and two boys, and mm -hmm. I mean the, the idea is just to stay sane, right? From 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 day to day, and we have we have a regimen. We go for our walks, we do our push-ups, we uh, um, are in the arts. And, we have gotten into arts and crafts like 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 never before. Um, uh -huh. All kinds of interesting, fun things. Uh, my wife loves to cook. She's cooking all these new new recipes. Oh yes. Um, and then, you know, what kind of made it worse was we just got out of Ramadan. I mean, I don't mean worse as in it's a bad thing, but like, you know, you're, you're it's, kind of, it's kind of warm out here in LA. Um, there's a whole sort of pandemic happening. And then you also can't eat or drink water from sunrise to sundown. Oh, so right. it, it kind of puts a damper on your plants. But now we're out of Ramadan. We're, we're, we're going back to normal. And I think I'm going to be going back to work soon too. I don't know, uh, like, like, like scheduling wise, but up until now, I mean, it's been nice to have a break from everything. And um, yeah, it's so strange. Like, when are we going to get this much time off until like retirement again? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Well, hopefully soon, if, if our careers take off, you know, you're a very That's talented true, writer. Yeah. yeah. Then you know, then, then, then we'll be on a, on an island somewhere for the summer, just 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 writing. That's <laughs> right. Just That's just right. Writing. Somewhere in the mountains, my lord, yeah. just writing, writing, writing. Speaking um, of mountains, man, I, one thing you, you said, Angelino, like I, I, when I first moved to New York City about 10 years ago, 
I just really, really desperately wanted to be called a, a New Yorker. Wait, right? when did you when did you move? Oh, uh, well, I, I moved to New York from Dallas. I, I grew up in Dallas, Texas. Right, I was right. born born in, born in Chicago. Grew up in Dallas. Um, I moved in in two thousand and nine um, to okay. New York, and I was okay. there until two thousand nineteen last year. And then I, and then right, I, right. I've been in I've been in, in LA for about a year. I desperately wanted to be called a New Yorker, and I, I was doing all this research like when can one call themselves a New Yorker, right? And, um, that's, and now a, that's that, such a movie lover thing of you to do. I, I know. And now that, now that I, I'm in LA, I'm, I'm desperate to be called an Angelino. Like I want to be called an Angelino so bad. <laughs> I got you. Um, yeah, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but no, man, you know, it's, it's, it's just, again, um, staying busy, staying creative. You have the podcast, you're a writer. I have the mm-hmm. podcast. Um, I write, uh, I, I got a lot chance to write a lot during this, during this time. Um, but I'm really excited for things to kind of get back to normal, you know, like I, I, yeah. I, I, I know I mean, the, the numbers aren't quite there yet, but, but, um, hopefully, uh, things will start changing, man. And we can go back to normal. We can go yes. back to finding a nice coffee shop and, and, and having coffee and going for long walks. And like going that. to the movie theaters. I'm so, I can't like, I can't wait yeah. to be in a movie theater again. <laughs> I am so desperate to be in a movie theater. Yes. It's crazy. I have a pretty nice setup at home, but I mean, it's home. Same, it's not, but it's different. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. yeah. Especially like in the summer when it's like blasting AC in, in, air, oh, yeah. uh, in movie theaters and you just kind of like put a sweater on and you're like in a different world for two hours. Oh, it's the best. Absolutely. And I, you know, I, I was going to the movies at, as much as I could right before they closed them down. So I was, I, I was actually, I went a couple of times while they were doing the whole 50% capacity. Uh, capacity too uh-huh. and it was lovely man you would go in there you had all the kind of space and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and it was That's nice so if, if we go back to that like i'm i'm, I'm good um it, it, would, it would be nice you know what one thing i'm looking into here in la is we have a couple of drive-in movie theaters that, that are still open for business oh sure 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 so we I have one here I'm, in vermont too actually that just opened uh, yeah, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna check that out and see what that, see what that's like, you know. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, how, how, you, have you, how have you been doing? If, if you don't mind, I, I know that, they, that your listeners know how you're doing, but I want to ask you how, how you've been. Yeah, I've been good. So I, I shared on my like quarantine catch up with Taylor, who you may mm-hmm. remember from work. Mm-hmm. Um, he, Taylor um, Deer. Yes, sir. He and I were talking about like all the stuff that we've watched, and he has watched like a million TV shows. And you know, I like usually watch more movies and TV. I've been yeah. watching a shitload of TV during this like what? quarantine. Um, I think probably the best thing I've watched is Ozark. I watched all three seasons in like one second. Uh-huh. Um, I loved, <laughs> I loved Unbelievable that Tony Collette series. On, uh, as listeners know, I'm obsessed with Tony Collette, so yeah, it doesn't take yeah. much. Yeah, um, I'm aware. <laughs> I loved Unbelievable. Um, have you seen Unbelievable? Oh, on Netflix? I have not. I have not. Oh, it's really good. I think you would like it. It's her and Merritt Weaver. Okay. Um, I love Merritt Weaver. Yeah. And then in terms of movies, I've watched like probably 60 at this point, maybe a little okay. more than that. Yeah. Um, wait, do you have something? Okay, ready? First question of the pod, other than uh-huh. how are you? Do you have something? <laughs> what, what sticks out as your favorite thing that you've watched this quarantine? You know, I've been going back and... Um, you know, initially, so before the COVID stuff happened, I was trying to have a buddy named Ryan, Ryan Ferris, and you know who that is too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He he never like tries to rewatch stuff. He watches try to watch something new every single time. Yeah, and I, I started to do, doing. I do that a lot yeah. too. Yeah, I, I I started doing that, and and it was great because I started to to discover uh, films like new stuff um, again, and it was amazing. Um, but then when this stuff happened, I just kind of needed to go back and, and watch stuff. You know, some like the you know, like the comfort food type, type totally. films. 
And so I found myself watching a lot of old stuff again and again. And I love the Criterion channel. You, you made a comment about my Criterion mug here. Yes, I was sporting a Criterion mug, <laughs> for those of you who can't see. <laughs> I, I, I love the Criterion channel and I just love their selection of classics. You know, I'm a big world cinema guy. Um, foreign films are, are my thing. Uh, classic Hollywood is my thing. And so I've been going back and watching a, a lot of film. And I've gotten into Burt Lancaster, uh, you know, a lot, you know, and like, uh, Gene Kelly, you know, his musical. Oh, and, yes. and, and speaking of another Kelly, Grace Kelly, you know, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I, you know, it's uh, movies are, are, are movies, you know, and um, I, 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 I love, I love all, all types of movies, as, as you know, but it's just something that you watched uh, during this time that, that, that kind of stands up, stands up for you. Um, well, I got to revisit the movie we're going to talk about, which we will save until the big reveal, which mm-hmm. uh, is just heaven on earth. Um, yeah. but something new that I watched, you know what I, I, I was thinking I was telling you about this movie, um, before the devil knows you're dead. Yeah. I watched it. I watched it three times. Really? I just, I just like kept going back to it. Cause I was like this, well, I watched it with my parents are divorced. So I watched it with my mom and stepdad and then my de- my dad and then, um, my, by myself. So I like made uh-huh. my whole family watch it after I watched it once. <laughs> um, but I'm trying to think of like anything else that really stuck out to me. The first movie I watched during quarantine was water lilies that um, Celine Sciamma movie, her first okay. feature, yeah. um, which was beautiful. Um, and I was sort of saying on the last episode how I've been watching my way through director's filmographies. I think I was telling you about that. But I would say the other thing that really stuck out to me the most is I finally finished the filmography of my, my favorite director. I finally watched Magnolia by Paul Thomas Anderson, yeah, yeah. Um, which I wrote an essay about that you, that you read. And mm-hmm. um, I'm, I loved that movie so much. It's yeah. like, I was, I was so scared to watch it because it's so long and I was like, oh my God, like, I want this to be as good as all the rest of them. Um, <laughs> and of course it was. And yeah. I, I, the whole cast is amazing. As, as you know, he, he um, assembles amazing ensemble casts and this one was no exception. And we were talking, me and you were talking about a little bit how Tom Cruise was doing like his best work in that movie. Oh, he's so good. Um, I love Tom Cruise. But yeah, Julianne Moore playing woman in distress better than ever. <laughs> Phillips, speaking of, of, of Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, we got Philip Seymour Hoffman in mm-hmm. here, uh, John C. Riley, um, William H. Macy. What a great cast! And such good cast. You know, it's really tough to kind of corral a cast like that. And here, here's this, here's this young young guy. I don't think he was thirty yet. I imagine. I know. Wrong, but he, here he is. You know, I think it's his third film, and he's like yeah. corralling such a huge cast. Um, he's he's just great. He, he's amazing. He's one of the great directors of, of, of all time. What was it? Was it Ben Affleck who? When he won the uh, Oscar for Argo, he didn't win it for directing, he won it for best picture. Mm-hmm. There, there was something there where he, he couldn't believe that, he, that, that he'd won and he made a comment right there on stage about how uh, Paul Thomas Anderson is our Orson Welles. And I was like, I'm not a big fan of Ben Affleck, but I'm a huge fan of that comment. I was like, yeah, he is our fucking Orson Welles, you know? Yeah. He's one of the great filmmakers ever. Um, I'm very vocal about how I think he's the best contemporary director. <laughs> I think you know well that 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 that's a hot take. That's a hot take, baby. That's a hot take. Um, you you know you should uh, you mentioned the, the the thing you wrote the the piece that I actually actually write something uh, for one of your one of your favorite. I think we were talking about something about um, films that had to do with isolation. And you wrote that piece, and I really love that piece. And uh, I noticed you haven't really published it anywhere. So two things. Yeah, one, I don't know why. Two that things. One. You know, one, you should, you should write more um, like this kind of stuff, you know what I mean? And then yeah. uh, secondly, you should put these things out, man. I think you're a phenomenal writer and, and I really enjoy reading that piece. I mean, it's like I found something, even though I've seen a movie a million times, uh, well, I'm exaggerating, but 
um, you know, it was just kind of refreshing to read your thoughts on it. You should do that more. Well, thank you. I, I, I do have my, my, my film Instagram, but that of course limits the amount of words I can use. And everyone knows I am a fucking wordy writer. So I yeah. need to like start a blog. I know that about you. Yeah. You um, should. For sure. For sure. For sure. Um, but before we jump into the movie, we are going to discuss today. We need to, we need to let the listeners in on some of your tastes. Sweet. So my friend, favorite movies go. Okay. So I know, you know this is impossible for you because you've seen <laughs> approximately 2 million movies. <laughs> this is, this is a tough one. And yeah, and it has to do with the, the fact that I've seen a lot of movies. But I think I, I can name, I think I can name probably three of yours off the top of my head. Well, tell me, tell me, tell me what are there. Maybe. Okay. I could probably do two. Tell me in, the, in the mood for love. Yes. Uh, Chinatown. Oh yeah. I mean, both in the mood for love and Chinatown are, are two of my favorites. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, there was one, I, there's a Mussolini film or something, right? That you really like. Mus- uh, Mussolini, unfortunately, did not make any movies. He was the, uh, the, uh, oh my president, God. <laughs> president of, uh, what is the president? <laughs> no, no. He was the dictator uh, of Italy during World War II, which, which, <laughs> which, which, ties into the movie we're going to talk about today which is why this game was on the tip of my tongue obscure italian propaganda film that's that my favorite <laughs> um, um you know, who I, am i thinking of roberto something uh well there's rosalini there's fellini there's a bunch of Enis, oh uh, fellini in, i think is who i'm thinking of don't you love him yeah i love i, I love anyone with the the name and the Eni, um, okay. in Italy. <laughs> i can't believe um, i just said Mussolini. that's so funny well i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna look it up i'm gonna see if, if Mussolini did, didn't do anything yeah right um Favorite movies is tough. So favorite movies. Yeah, go is, go go. I used to be the type of person who um, would give like that stock answer where it's school like, the children. Know, where where it's like if, if you're a true lover of film uh, of cinema, then there can't just be one. And you know how how could you even decide? Um, <laughs> but you know uh, th- there's also a time when when I felt that you know I had to be either um, a highbrow person or a lowbrow person, right? And that's, of course, nonsense. You know, it's like... It's yes, like, I've, it's I've, like, I've started, like... I used to be like, well, no, I can't... Like, I talked about this on the Devil Wears Prada episode. I was like, well, I can't watch her, like, Devil Wears Prada. That's, like, low yeah. culture. And then I was like, no, that's BS. bullshit. Yeah. It's, com- it's completely BS. And then... Um, but the truth is, uh, the reason why... And I am a lover of cinema, and so are you. And, and, and if you love it as much as we do, you know that when you say something is your favorite film, whether you know it or not, it, it, it really does say something about you. And I don't mean what the film itself is about um, at face value, but there's some things going on that I'm a true believer of this. And I, and I ask people, what are some of your favorite films? And I don't tell them, well, I've just psychoanalyzed your life. But um, I, I do for myself kind of look at those films and try to, to, to create an impression of who this person is. Yeah. Um, Maybe it's not the best thing to do, but 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 I do it. If you want me, I I, I can name a couple of uh, films that that really really uh, mean something to me. Um, yes, I would love that. There's of course there's um, the, the Wizard of Oz. that shaped you, if you will. Yeah, uh, there we go. Um, <laughs> well, the Wizard of Oz definitely shaped me from 1939. It's one of the greatest films of all time. Of course. And and based on some recent studies, it's 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 the most um, influential movie of all time. Um, but I mean, at face value, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a fantasy tale about this girl from Kansas and she goes to the Oz. But for me, it's always been like the ultimate immigrant story, you know? It, oh, it, interesting. It, it, I never even looked at it in that lens. Yeah, you know, and, and then, um, of course, there's a Close Encounter of the Third Kind, 1977. Um, and it could be about aliens and UFOs and, and this great cameo by my favorite French uh, filmmaker, Francois Truffaut. But, oh, maybe that's what I was thinking of. Maybe I was thinking of Truffaut. Yeah. I don't know where I was getting these Italian names. <laughs> 
But ultimately, close encounters, it, it, it's about creativity and, and, and the pursuit of it no matter what. If you think about it in the movie, the extreme version in the movie is, 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 uh, is his Dreyfus leaving his wife and his kids for this, for this thing that he just can't get out of his head, you know, this mountain that must be traversed in order to find the mysteries that lie beyond. And, and that's, that's basically what creativity is, right? It's the mystery that lies beyond. You just got to try to grasp it. And that's what the dad does in, in, in the movie. So for me, it's, 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 it's about creativity. Um, and See, then guys, I could just listen to you talk about <laughs> just keep going, please. <laughs> there's this film that I, that I saw many years ago that I, I revisited during the quarantine uh, thing. It is, um, it's, it's a film called the woman in the dunes. It's a Japanese film. Oh yeah. You told me about that. You were like, whatever your next criterion cue is, it's move it down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's by a Japanese filmmaker named Hiroshi, um, Tashigahara. Um, and if you pair that with, uh, um, Elena Renee's, um, a Hiroshima Mon Amour from 1959 is a French French film. And then, of course, if I could add, uh, make that into a trilogy, it would be uh, Wong Kar Wai's In the Mood for Love from 2000, mm-hmm. which you know I love. And I'm, I, the, I, I, I second that love. I love that movie yeah. so much. And then these are three very, very different films. But then again, if you take my face value of the art, if you really dissect them, these are films about love and the human condition. They're achingly beautiful to, to look at and, and consume. And then, like, I mean, if you want to know who I am, we talk about lowbrow and highbrow. I mean, uh, I got to throw fucking gremlins in there, right? 1984, <laughs> which, which kind of brings us to, to you know, like, like, like full circle. It's another film which, uh, at its heart, is about immigrants assimilating into American suburbia, you know, and Cold War paranoia in small town USA. Again, face value, it's a fun romp. I think Spielberg wrote that movie. Which I used to be terrified of, by the way. I used to, I couldn't watch yeah. gremlins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I love Gremlins, man. <laughs> I love Gremlins. Oh, love it. Um, um, and also, then the second part, um, like when they fucking overpopulate New York. Yeah. Um, but these are these are the films that I love. I mean, they, they, it's all over the place. You know, you got some foreign stuff, you got some American stuff, you got Spielberg, you got Gremlins. Um, it is. What I love it those is, answers. Man. Love, love, love. Um, and then, of course, the one we're going to talk about today, which we're still not going to reveal yet. We're keeping the listeners on their toes. Well, if they uh, haven't read have the title of the, your episode Oh, yeah, yet. that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, I always forget that I literally put it in the title. Um, okay, so we got, we got some um, ideas into some of the movies you like. And right. I just wanted to pause on In the Mood for Love real quick. Um, yes. We could do a f- whole other episode on this movie. Well, that was on the short list. It was going to be either either the movie that, we, that, that we're doing today or In the Mood for Love. I, I think, think that's right. We, we did yeah. sort of narrow it down to those two, didn't we? Um, yeah. You are actually the person that introduced me to Wong Kar Wai, and I have been obsessed ever since. Yeah. Um, in the He's mood a great for filmmaker Love, to, be, to be obsessed with, yeah. It was like I was hypnotized by that movie, like that feeling of aching and like almost. It was like they could they they wanted to touch so badly but couldn't. It was like a love letter to loneliness and like want. And I was just like, oh god, this is perfect. And not to mention the like amazing saturation of color. The costumes yeah. are beautiful. The like smoky shots with the cigarettes and everything. Oh, I just love it so much. The slow motion shots. Yes. Um, and uh, speaking of speaking of touching each other, there there is a moment in the. I mean, we've seen it a million times when he's walking away from her and she kind of turns towards the camera and then she kind of grabs her own arm. And if you look closely, it's like, it's, it's like she's digging her nails into her arm. It's like, it's like two, two individuals who just, who just require love so much that, that they almost are, are willing to kind of just like pinch themselves just to kind of feel alive. You know what I, I mean? Know. Ugh, and, that movie is so beautiful. And if you guys haven't seen it, for those of you listening, like, um, it is in, yeah. 
It, it, I mean, it's in Mandarin, so get ready to read, read subtitles, but it does not take away from the movie at all. Much like those of you who loved Parasite, the next Asian movie that you should watch is in the mood for love. <laughs> Absolutely. Or any, any Wong Kar Wai um, movies that you can get out, get your hands on. That's true. Chun- Chunking um, Express, yeah. With um, um, Pride Month coming up, Alone Together. Alone Together? Is that what it's called? Uh, Happy Together. Happy Together. Jesus, yeah. Happy Together. Happy Together was the first film that I watched that featured two... Uh, uh, gay men as the romantic leads. Yes, and it, it, I and was like, wow, this is really ahead of its time considering when it came out. It only happened like 97. I think it's the film that he did right before. Yeah, it, Love. it was right around the time that My Beautiful Laundrette came out as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think uh, My Beautiful Laundrette came out a little bit earlier. I, th- I, think, I think that's young Daniel Day-Lewis. So, it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, which also features a gay character who is of, of Pakistani British descent. Yes. Really interesting. But um, yeah, it had to be it had to be a Chinese movie. Like, uh, for some reason, I had never seen a film as an American film that featured uh, uh, the main characters uh, homosexual. Well, actually, and, and it stars stars Tony Long, who is a frequent collaborator of Wong Kar Wai. Yes, yes. It's almost like his, so his yeah, it's kind of like his actor surrogate in his movies. But that's a beautiful film. And then they have like Happy Together, the song by the was it is the Turtles or no, that's the monkey. No, it's not the monkeys. The turtles. I think I, I don't know the name. Yeah, it's the turtles. Yeah, it's a song from the sixties. Yeah, and then and then they have like a they have a Chinese language version remake of it on on the soundtrack too, which is fucking amazing. Yeah, that movie is amazing. But anyway, before we go down this Wong Kar Wai rabbit hole um, <laughs> and start talking about the pineapple and Chunking Express, um, <laughs> so what about the people that um, inhabit these movies? Who were some of your favorite movie stars? Man, you know what? I, oh man, you know, most of my favorite movie stars are people from yesteryear. You know, I, I was thinking <laughs> about this question. I was thinking about the question and, and a part of me was like, you know what? I should just say something like Tom Cruise. Although I think Tom Cruise is a fucking phenomenal actor. Um, well, but, uh, we could argue was maybe an, an incredible actor. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, for some reason he's become like uh, a stereotype of himself. Yeah, yeah, he's just doing all the action movies. But there was a yeah. time like like Magnolia, like he, he's actually putting himself out there. I think Magnolia, yeah. I think that year, 99, was the last year where he was like, uh, after that, he's like, I'm not doing this shit anymore. Yeah, I mean, wasn't that the same year as Eyes Wide Shut? He's the Eyes Wide Shut, we, we fucking blew out the park in that one, and then he did Magnolia. And then after that, I was like, you guys don't give a shit about me as an actor. I'm just going to do Mission Impossible movies for the next 30 years. Um, he's great. He just, he just knows what to, to pick. I mean, whether you like him or you don't, whether his, his personal life is in shambles or not, or you care about his politics or whether or not you care about his religion, he knows how to pick a, a fun movie. And even the movies that, that aren't that great, like The Mummy from 2017, it got the worst reviews of any movie that I'd ever read, but it still made like half a billion dollars. You know what I mean? Like right, people, right. people are going to go out to see his movies no matter what. No matter yeah. what anyone says, he is probably the greatest movie star actor uh, of, of our time. Yeah, I mean, um, I, read, I read somewhere recently that his movies, around the time I was watching Magnolia, I was like, oh, yeah. wow, Tom Cruise, young. His movies have grossed over $10 billion worldwide. Yeah, so like, that's, that's crazy. He's cashing that fucking check. He doesn't yeah. give a shit. But if I can tell you, if I can give you one from like yesteryear, I would, I would say um, one of my favorite actors, um, actresses or actor, I don't know how you want to say it, um, is Deborah Carr. She's, she's a Scottish actor. Uh-huh. Um, she was nominated for like six, uh, six times for the Academy Award for Best Actress. So this is before Kate Blanchett. This is before Meryl Streep, uh, around the time of Hepburn. But she's a six-time nominee for Best Actress. That's, that's, that's got to say something. I don't know what film she was nominated for, but I can tell mm-hmm. you what films I think she's amazing in. Okay. What's her name? Deborah Carr? Deborah Carr, but it's spelled K-E-R-R. She's Scottish, so, you know, it's pronounced a little different. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Oh, okay, yeah. 
So she did Black Narcissist uh, in 1947. She did From Here to Eternity um, with uh, Burt Lancaster. There's this great scene where they're indoors and it's fucking pouring, uh, raining cats and dogs out there, but they're dry. And of course, if you mirror that scene with later on, the iconic shot in From Here to Eternity where they're on the beach and the waves are kind of flowing over them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a beautiful scene because they're committing, a, they're committing um, adultery. I think she's married. But there's something about that scene where they're in the water. It's kind of like washing away their sins. Like it's, it's, it's very beautiful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in 57, she did two movies, um, Heaven Knows Mr. Allison and An Affair to Remember. That one had Cary Grant in it. And oh, this is, um, this is the woman who is, the, is Anne in the movie version of The King and I for those yes, the theater people yes, following. Yes, yeah, she was yeah, in The yeah. King and I. Yeah. Um, another movie of hers called Separate Tables is amazing based on a play. Um, the Innocence, uh, 1961, based on a Henry James novel. It was remade recently as The Turning. I don't know if you watched The Turning. Oh, yeah, yeah. actually, I did. Yeah, but The, the Innocence is the OG version. Um, is a funny the Turning is that, the one with um, the Stranger Things kid. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, but The Innocence, which is the original version of it, it's amazing. Actually, fun fact about that, it was the screenplay was written by Truman Capote. Um, there's so many more, but she, I would say she's my favorite actor. I mean, she, I can throw her on. She's played a nun before. She's played like a almost like a mentally disabled uh, uh, character. She's played a, a sex siren. She's played in older uh, characters, even though she was very young at heart. I mean, she's she's just an amazing um, actress. Not a lot of people know of her, but I'm glad that you know her, <laughs> the King and I. But yeah, um, all yeah, my she's all amazing. my my theater friends will know. I I would hope we'll we'll, yeah. we'll catch that reference at least. <laughs> so this is gonna sound weird, but the two that I want to name are Deborah Carr and Tom Cruise. <laughs> Those are my two favorite actors. <laughs> that I mean, that talk about range, people. We got <laughs> yeah. range with this one. Yeah. Um. Okay, I love both those answers. Mm. Um. Okay, should we jump into the the main event? Let's do it. Let's the do main it. The event. Main okay. Oh, which movie did you bring um, with you today to discuss? I brought with me from 1996 a film uh, adapted and directed by Anthony Minghella, uh, the the English Patient. Woo! Okay, I have discussed <laughs> on this podcast before how much I love this movie. How much. I think it is like the greatest romance movie that I've ever seen. Oh, um, I second that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and <clears throat> before we jump in, just to, um, so, oh, you got to start with like some of the facts about what it is. Um, yes, it was directed by Anthony Minghella. Do you say Minghella, Minghella? How do you pronounce it? I say Minghella because- That's I, what I say I, too. Yeah, I've never heard him say it. I mean, I know he's passed away, but his son, Max Minghella, called, uh, pronounces his last name as Minghella, so- uh, I'm gonna call him Minghella. <laughs> yeah, I need to. I need to watch his um, Oscar speech and see if someone um, pronounces his name beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was released in 1996, November mm-hmm. to be exact. Um, it was directed and written by Anthony Minghella, um, based on the English Patient novel written by uh, Michael Undach. I think is how you pronounce his last name. He's a Undache. Yeah, he's Andache, like from Sri Lanka. Yeah, yeah Sri yep. Lankan. Sri born Canadian, I believe. Yeah. Um, it stars Ralph Fine, uh, Ralph Ray Fines, Kristen Scott Thomas. <laughs> Julie, I, I've literally dragged people for calling him Ralph, and here I am. Ray <laughs> Fines, Kristen Scott Thomas, Julia Binoche, Willem Dafoe, Colin Firth, Julian Andrews, and of course, as the lovable Kit, Kip, Kip, Naveen yeah. Andrews. Um, so for for those of you who haven't seen it. Um, it's basically the story of four people who find themselves in an abandoned villa in northern Italy, reminiscing about past lives, right? Um, mm. Not necessarily past lives because it actually happened, but they're helping this, this now burned up version of Ray Fiennes remember his life as they read mm-hmm. through his journal, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes place like sort of pre-World War II and then sort of post-World War II. 
Um, and then it's just like about um, a nurse caring for him and helping him remember the love affair and um, everything that came before. And um, I love it so much. So where do we even begin with this nearly three hour epic? How about, um, why, why'd you pick this? What, what about it shaped you? What, what, like, why did it stand out to you? Well, I mean, you know, I... Did you see it when it first came out? No, no, I was, I was way too young. Um, you know, it's... I figured. It's interesting. So I, I am, I am the, the child of Pakistani immigrants, right? They mm-hmm. came from, from Pakistan, which is a, a Muslim country. And uh, they came to America and they just started to work um, and raise us. Myself, my four sisters were, were all born in, in America. We grew up, um, the concept of, of love or romantic love is a very different thing when you're coming from either a third world country or a predominantly Muslim country. Right? My parents had an arranged marriage. Um, their parents had an arranged marriage and their parents before that. And that's what love is, something that grew over time. Mm-hmm. right your parents said this is who you're going to marry and that's, that's that's how it was um so we kind of grew up um that way and thinking that, that that's what, what what our lives are going to be but we were the sort of first generation of american born um, um american muslims i guess going here and very early on it's like well, that's not how we're going to do it right we, we, we want to date i want a girlfriend i want to propose marriage someday i want to have and and what really kind of um I guess peppered the that, that that idea of what romantic love is came from these um, intensely romantic films, you know, and 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 um, English Patient was one of those first ones. I, I've always used English Patient almost like a litmus uh, test. Uh, um, after that, I watched that movie, and if I whenever I I uh, I'd, I'd meet someone that I, I really cared about and we date or something like that, I I I'd show her this movie to see kind of what she thinks about uh, thinks about it. I actually it's the first one of the first films that I showed my wife. Um, and she fell in love with it just like I did, but that sort of intense longing, we talked about in the mood for love earlier, but, um, just like I, I as a kid, I, I longed for something like, that. I saw it at an early age, but I longed for this type of love, right? This sort of romantic love, and shall I say forbidden love? Mm-hmm. Not that we go into thinking, oh, I, I'd want to, I want to have an affair with a married woman. That's not <laughs> what it is. Right. There's so many different levels this film too. You know, I, I love literature. Um, I love Europe. Um, I always wanted to travel, which I did after I got married. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just beautiful to look at. You just mentioned earlier, it's, it's, it's pre-war North Africa and then post-war, um, Southern Italy. And yeah. it's amazing the way, the way the color of the flashback sequences versus, uh, the sort of drained look. Uh, yes. I'm so glad you brought that up. We're definitely yeah. getting back to that. <laughs> so the cinematography, the 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 writing of it the the actual novel that it's based on i went out and, and bought that novel and i read that novel and then i, I read the screenplay of it and um it was edited by walter merch i mean one of the great uh, um, editors uh, um, it was dp by john seal i mean it's like a you mentioned this all-star cast in front of the camera there's an all-star cast behind the camera too you know yeah i mean john and- seal did the cinematography won an oscar um, editing was, as you were saying, Walter Murch, first guy yeah. to win a Oscar for a digitally edited film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, keep going. Sorry. <laughs> no, but overall, it just, it just, the, the, that, um, I've never seen such intense longing on, um, on the screen. I had never seen, uh, at that, at that moment, you know, like when you're a certain age and you're very impressionable and, and you see something that's like the coolest thing you've ever seen. Yeah. It is literally the coolest thing you've ever seen at that point because you're so young, right? So those early things really stayed with me, whether it's the films of Quentin Tarantino um, or uh, 
Anthony Minghella's early films, uh, this one, and then The Talented Mr. Ripley, which is another favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, 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 uh, they, they and just we've, take a, we've also, we've discussed, mm-hmm. um, um, oh, Jesus, Cold Mountain a lot too. Yeah, Cold Mountain is so, great too. Yeah. I love yeah. Cold Mountain. I, I love all, all of his, all of it. All, those three are like the, the holy trilogy as far as like, like intense romantic films. I mean, and, and yeah, and, and definitely people are saying, I was talented, Mr. Ripley romantic. It is very fucking romantic. Um, as is yeah, the reader, yeah. which, you know, he co-produced. So <laughs> that, that's true. Get an, um, eye, get an eye for it. <laughs> definitely. And he, you know, he's gone too soon, I think, you know, um, yeah. RIP. Yeah. But you know, it just, it, it, again, the things that, 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 that you come to when you're really early, uh, when you're, when you're very young, they have an impression on you and they, kind of stick with you. And luckily, um, uh, I was fortunate to, to get into some really great things that kind of lived on and, and still have a life beyond that and uh, have aged really well. I mean, I think the English patient has aged great. Yes. Uh, okay, first of all, obsessed with that description and thank you for sharing all of that. Um, <laughs> I swear, I felt similarly the first time I watched it. So like, I think the first like real sweeping romance I watched as everyone was Titanic, yeah. um, which I never really connected to that much. I was kind of like, okay, this is fun. But like, I used to always joke that um, if someone told me that their favorite movie was a Titanic, I immediately didn't trust them. Um, it, it just seemed like such a like easy answer yeah uh, and now I always say whenever I watch the English patient I'm always like oh Titanic wishes yeah um just because it's like there's something about it like I, I I know I like I talk in hyperbole a lot but I really was like with these like ultra romantic movies I get kind of hypnotized because like normally I'm not like that romantic in my real life so like when I see this like giant movie, like literally sweeping with grandeur, like giant planes flying, beautiful cast, um, beautiful shots, amazing, like warm blanket colors. Like I just get so hypnotized because like, it's not necessarily something that I'm like after in my normal life. Yeah. But I am a sucker for like an epic sweeping romance. And when I saw this movie, I was like, Oh my God. I think like maybe like an hour five in is when they, like first um sort of succumb to their you know primal passions yeah yeah, passions great word for it um in the bathtub scene and i was like oh my god i remember looking at them and being like there's never been a hotter on-screen pair and we're now talking about ray fines and chris mccott thomas yeah and it's 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 like a painting if you look at it if you look at how the light is coming into the bathroom how it kind of shimmers in the water Mm -hmm. little little like uh bottles in the back sitting on a little chair and we a towel draped over it. It's a very, very much like, but and just sort of things, like the, yeah. and sorry to cut you off the, right, before but, we move on from the bathtub scene, um, just like sort of the, the dialogue too, like when he says, when were you most happy? And she says now, and he says, when were you least happy? And she says now. Yeah. And then he's like, well, what do you love? And she's sort of like listing some things. And she says, um, islands, and then she says, your handwriting. And I, I, I'm just like that handwriting thing has like always uh, stuck with me so much because it ends with him, him reading her letter. And so yeah. I'm just like, oh, the detail, the attention to detail. Anyway, what were you going to say? <laughs> well, well I, I want to talk about that, 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 that bathtub scene again. Okay, perfect. Because that's my favorite scene. So yay. Yeah, it's one of my favorite scenes too. Um, one of them, because yeah. in the movie, like he's in the bathtub. He's almost like a little kid, right? And, and you, can, you can almost take away the, 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 the sort of like, the needle and whatever he's sewing and put like a toy or, or, or like a rubber duck in his hand. It'd be the same thing. He's very, very childlike, right? And yeah. Oh yeah. He and does start that scene sewing, doesn't he? 
Yeah, and she's the same way, you know, when she's kind of joking and she's and she's like she's kind of like his mother, you know, putting shampoo on his hair and then she's kind of kind of putting putting soap in his ear to get stand out, and then it becomes erotic. She takes yeah. off her her robe. She sits in, in the bathtub and is intensely intensely romantic, you know. It's and she's sort important. of um she's sort of messing with him too when when they're having that what makes you happy conversation. She's like yeah. um taking a bath not taking a bath with other people. Right. She's sort of like right. pandering to him a little bit. So it becomes, you almost, him. yeah, you almost see the, um, an entire relationship in that one scene. You have this sort of courtship, kind of nice joking around, cute, kind of uh, immature. Then you have the intense uh, eroticism of her getting into the bathtub. And then at the end, you have the breakup. You know, like, like when he says what he says that you should forget about me or something, you see the, her face and how she pushes his head away. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's right up. after um, mm-hmm. he says, um, "What do you hate the most?" and she says, "A lie," and he says, right. "Ownership," and then mm-hmm. that's when they're like, she like pushes him away and gets up. Yeah, and and so you see that the beginning, the middle, and the end of a relationship, and at the end, you know, he's all by himself. He's in, he's in the thing. You know, and you know and what? I, I sort of was drawing. This might be a little bit of a stretch, but in terms of like that three act romance that you see sort of happen immediately, that like is sort of the impetus for the you know dramatic or romantic action. Yeah. Um, I sort of was drawing parallels to the bench scene in Blue, Blue is the Warmest Color. I don't know if you've seen that in a while. I, but, I, I have, yeah. Well, I saw that um, when it first came out, yeah. Um, there, that first bench scene when they're talking about philosophy and philosophers and Sartre and everything, you yes. sort of see that immediate spark. Then you see them go through like all the possibility. And then you see um, uh, the, the newly queer character whose name I'm forgetting um, sort of remember, oh, let me check back into reality and break this off. That I was just thinking about that, how they, yeah. they kind of those scenes kind of remind me of one another. I don't know why. No, I mean no, I mean they they both are are our love our love stories, you know, um, at their heart. It's and they both are very beautifully directed as well, um, with two characters um, in the middle. But I, you know, yeah, I've always loved that scene uh, as well. There are other things about English Patient that uh, when when I when I come every time I come back to it, I I pick up on something new. And as an adult um, man. Um, and I think about it, it's it just, you know, there's a lot of parallels and like uh, Count Almasy, you know, uh, he's, he's Hungarian. He's not, he's not English, right? Right. He's kind of like an outsider. And it's mm-hmm. interesting because he, he prefers to be out in the desert. He prefers to be out in the wild with these wild, uh, quote unquote, wild Bedouins, right? Who live out there. And you see him kind of uneasy um, in the suit. I feel like he's uneasy when he's like uh, in Cairo at the hotel, at Shepherd's Hotel. And all these English people are like dancing and doing like a two-step, whatever. And yeah. I feel like he doesn't really feel like he belongs. And I don't know if that was a metaphor for, um, you know, a Hollywood high society. And I don't know if Anthony Minghella was trying to make a commentary about that. But I felt, I had felt that. Even or though or I, British royal society because absolutely the Colin Firth and Kristen Scott Thomas characters are from like this royal, whatever, rich background. And oh yeah, he's sort of like, you know, contracted by the British people, but he's Hungarian. And just yeah. to fill in some of the blanks, for those of you who haven't seen it, he's a cartographer on hire from Britain, but he's Hungarian. Ralph well, Ray finds us. If you haven't seen that, I would hit pause and do your right, favor right. and go watch it. Go first. watch it, yeah. But I mean, as as an adult, like I, I mean, growing up during uh, Desert Storm when I was super young, and then I'm, and then and then like nine eleven, uh, being of, of Pakistani descent, being a Muslim, being born and raised here, but still had a feeling sometimes in certain circles when I was living, when growing up in Texas, feeling out of place. Even though, yeah. why do I feel out of place? This is where I'm from, right? right. But like, I, I I appreciate that in that character, Colonel Al- Almasy, um, in this movie, I, I kind of. 
So that's one another reason why I, I like it. I mean, not, 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 not to get so deep into it, but that's one of the no, I love it. I love that we're getting so deep into it. I mean, it's a nearly three hour movie. There's so much yeah. to like think about and pick apart. And I, I just rewatched it last night as I was telling you. And I just was watching it and being like, oh my God, this movie really is something else. Like yeah. it, it, it's just so sweeping and oh, I love it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, there was something else I was thinking about that scene, I think. Um, Oh, after she says, so it's sort of in the middle of like, if we're, if we're calling their, that scene, like their three act romance in the end of act two, when she says, I could go on for days. Yeah. Um, and then you sort of see him switch to, well, what do you hate the most? Yeah. Um, after she, she says, I could go on for days. And then she says, my husband. And then he's like, oh, I better switch this. And he doesn't really get the answer he likes. And then, you know, act three begins. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I love that scene. And I also love, um, the scenes so to sort of switch romantic pairings to um miss juliet um who is wonderful in this movie oh, i think this this is the first time i'd ever seen i, I have i back when i watched this for the first time i, I don't I didn't know french cinema that well um or that they had great actors in france um right. and, you know and I, that I she was one of the best yeah well when i first watched the movie i thought she was a girl from amelie but you know oh interesting uh, yeah I, I, th- I thought she was audrey ted too whatever but no um, I mean, and of course, since then, she's, I've, I've gotten into Julia Binoche's yeah. career. She's an amazing actor. Amazing. And she actually had a, um, a showcase on Criterion, like they were doing all of her movies. So I got to watch like a bunch That's of them right. when they were doing that. But I think my first exposure to her is, um, was Chocolat, that 2000 mm-hmm. Best Picture nominee movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, I was like, oh, who is this? And then like, okay. I started watching more of her stuff. But um, and for me, she, just to like hang on her for a second, in this movie especially, she's like so much... Um, not that she's not always warm, but this one, this movie is like, she's especially warm and vulnerable. Like a lot of times you see her sort of play a little bit rougher, like a little more badass. Um, I'm thinking like, at least recently, like she, she did that movie High Life with Robert Pattinson, where she's like the head of this space prison, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, to see, to like, re, to go back to this movie and see her in this capacity is really lovely. And for me in this movie, she sort of feels like the bookends and also the cliff notes. Like she's right. the, the person who, starts and ends the movie like she's sort of our catalyst right she brings us into the movie and then brings us out and um she's the one that's sort of there um guiding Rafe along through his um his his odyssey odyssey exactly his like his trip down memory lane which like totally cheapens it to say like that but that like is what it is um but I love the scene when her and um her and Kip go to the church and they look at all the paintings. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. and I just think that that scene is so beautifully shot like um when he's like don't look yet and it's like sort of dark and then as soon as she lights up her flare like the whole light of the screen comes on and it's mm-hmm. filmed through the smoke and you just see her sort of gazing in awe like through the smoke. Oh, I love that. That scene. Well, I mean, you know, it's 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 discovery, right? It's like the idea of coming out of darkness and into light, right? And she's sort of like discovering her love for him too. Absolutely, absolutely. Like it's like this budding illumination of love between these two, a very different type of love, equally forbidden. You know, he's from a different place. She's from a different place. They're, yeah, and he's like, dinner. and they have jobs. They have these like war jobs that they're supposed to be like attending to. Absolutely, and and it's like they both are scarred. You know, people that that she loves have have, have died. The people that he loves have died, and and are going to die at that point. But you know, it's like it's a very different love, forbidden, but also something that's very innocent. Um, 
about about that. Yeah, about it, is, love. it is. That scene is actually very innocent. Like it does. Um, like you were saying how uh, Ray Fiennes feels like uh, sort of childlike in the bathtub scene. This is like sort of their childlike wonderment moment of like, yeah. oh, what is this? I mean, you get a sense that like, uh, like neither Kip or uh, Hannah like know about fine art or have read a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where, whereas uh, Catherine, Clifton, and, and Cal Almasy, like they know Herodotus, you know, and they, they, they can quote Herodotus by like fucking campfire and, and they, they're much more learned you know, and, yeah. and so and so you kind of see like a different different uh, different side of that. Like they, they might not know exactly what these paintings mean, but they know that it's beautiful, and that's all that fucking matters. Whereas there are some people who like ha- um, have all these theories about what this artist meant by this brushstroke and this and that. Yeah. You don't get any of that with Hannah and, and Kip. You just have have them just pure wonder. Beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, so those are like my personal two favorite scenes. Do you have a scene that like sticks out as one of your faves? I mean, just in terms of like watchability or um, one that you admire or one that means something to you. I feel like um, I looked it up this time, but I think it's, it's between a 22 and 23 minute mark mm-hmm. uh, when uh, Ray finds his character and Chris and Scott, Scott Thomas' character first meet. Mm, okay. And I think it's in the desert. I, in the desert, yeah. And I think it's a beautiful, beautiful meeting. And they're sort oh, of... And how beautiful is she in 1996? Oh, my God. Come oh my on. God. I mean, she's still beautiful. But, you yeah. know, but she, they meet and they have this, like, this sort of verbal back and forth. Um, and they're talking about, you know, love, uh, you know, romantic love, you know, and all this kind of different love. And yeah. it's, kind of, it's kind of foreshadowing. I love that. I love all the aerial shots. I love the going into the cave and the coming out of the cave. Now, you know what I'm talking about when he's carrying her body into the cave and the music swells when she says that I've always loved you. <gasps> oh, yes. Uh, I wrote that quote down too. I'm so glad you wrote that up. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and he's, walking, so excited. he's walking into the cave and, and it's like the wind is blowing and you see he's got her wrapped around. The thing it's um, or something it's like not to interrupt, but the, the lead in for that is um, he, uh, Almashi says, you're wearing the thimble. Mm-hmm. And she says, of course, you idiot. I always wear it. I've always worn it. I've always loved you. Oh my Swelling God. music, flowing scarf, tears from Rafe. Oh, it's, oh, it's so Well, her, her, her face kind of dis- disappears behind his, but you see her hand, you know? And then like uh, the marriage that scene is later on in the movie or towards the end when he's bringing her, her mm. now lifeless body out. Mm. And it's very similar where the music is swelling. You don't hear him cry out, but, but you can see from his face, he is yelling out, screaming, crying, you know? Yeah. I've always loved those scenes. I've always loved the um i'm gonna it's it's, it's uh two 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 love making scenes so one when she comes into his, his apartment and she starts beating him up you know before yeah, they yeah, before he yeah. rips her dress off um i just love the intensity of, of that of that love making scene because yeah, i forgot how intensely up. that started i forgot that it started yeah. with like her striking him yeah it's been because it's been building up building up building up yeah. and the only thing she can think of doing is striking him because that would be that would be a, a connection, a forceful connection between her hand and his face. Mm-hmm. But they just need some sort of a connection in that moment. And that's why I think that particular love scene is so, is so uh, rough. But then when they have sex later on, it's very beautiful. Again, music flowing. It's, it's when they go into the other room while they're during Christmas. Yep. And everyone's singing the Christmas song, whatever. Yep. And um, Colin Earth is playing Santa like in the other room. <laughs> right. 
and they're and they're they're making love against this this bookcase but this it's a different type of love making now they've gotten that other type of love out of their system now it's more of a it's still intense but it's it's different it's, 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 it's like a flow to it you know if 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 the first love making scene is, is rough like the desert then this is very like kind of like flowing like like water and then you get that shot of from the outside of the courtyard looking at that window and you can almost see the silhouette. Yes. Oh and my God. I'm glad you brought that up too. That is such a beautiful, beautiful shot. Yeah. I love that. Um, Jesus, there's so many, I mean, I'm just going to start naming every single scene in this fucking movie. I know. The we're first, just going to go through all like 50 scenes. Yeah. The, the first time that Willem Dafoe makes an appearance, you know, um, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Caravaggio, right? It's like this guy with no thumbs. What the fuck does he want? He, he used to be a thief. He steals that morphine. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I hate this guy. Wait, can we, can we talk about a plot point for a second with Caravaggio? Because I'm like, mm-hmm. I think I'm like still not connecting all the dots between his character. So okay. he, I need you to help me here. Um, and listeners chime in. Um, I, okay. So he, the first time I watched this, I was like, okay, I'm not hundred percent sure where Willem Dafoe's Caravaggio fits in this. Mm-hmm. Now I, I, I think I understand where it's um, uh, the, uh, the Germans think Almashi is a um, spy. What the so Brits do. Or the Brits, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The yeah. Brits think he's a German. And then um, somehow well, that somehow that ties back into Caravaggio being taken out of line in that, that scene where he like tries to get out of line. Yeah, well... I, I, I'm, so, I'm, so, so, I'm a little confused about their... So we know now that the Amish, the only reason he gave the Germans those aerial photographs right. is- To get is to the plane. To get to the plane because he needs to get back to Catherine. Now he didn't mm-hmm. take those photographs. Those photographs belong to okay. uh, yep. Colin okay. Firth. You Colin just completely Firth. cleared it up for me. Yep. Colin Firth is not a bad guy, but he takes aerial photographs almost like recon for the Brits. Now, whatever office he's working at, office of, of strategic, whatever the hell that is, yep. um, Willem Dafoe also works there. So when that got blown, that those photographs are there, that means Colin Firth is going to get arrested and killed. But that, before he does that, he goes and, and crashes his, his Tries his to pull that murder suey. And then the and yeah, and then the other guy who is who is in his office, which is Willem Dafoe, he gets interrogated, and that's why he's here now. He's been looking for the English patient. He's looking for the guy who he thinks double crossed. He doesn't right. know the whole story yet. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's also he's story. also trying to like fill in his memory too. Absolutely. Um, okay, thank you. I, I was like, I, I think I wasn't putting together the Colin Firth element of that yeah, um, yeah. sort of B story to the movie. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Okay, great. Anyway. Um, what was I going to say about, um, there was a scene we were talking about, well, whatever. Um, I think if we jump to now least favorite scenes and it doesn't need to be like a scene that you think is bad, but it, I, I like to think of it as like the scene you would most like be most likely to skip. <laughs> um, do, do you have one that comes to mind? Mine is honestly like, um, the scene when, um, his when Kip's friend gets blown up on top of the statue, I'm just like, oh, right. this is so sad. <laughs> Do we need this? It's <laughs> sad. It's like in the book, and yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's important for Kip to, to lose that person in his life, right. so there can be a, a further connection between him and Hannah. One, I know why it's there, and I think it's really important. Once one th- one scene that I like to skip is the one where he's kind of losing his shit uh away finds oh at the party no, i took notes about that scene too and she's giving him the eyes like don't don't fucking blow this this thing you know open but he's just he's angry and it's a great mirror to the 
the, 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 the earlier scene when they're at the, the same hotel and they're having the beautiful little dance and yeah. before they've made love, before they've had the, the, the affair started. Now it's like, he's just jealous, you know, and he's like, yeah. he can't, he can't hold it in. And people yeah. are like, you know, calm down. You know, he's like, okay, all right, all right. We do. Um, we also get the, the one good thing about that scene is, um, well, there's many good things, but the, the line lashing of apologies. I love that. Oh, <laughs> lashing yeah. of apologies yeah. as he sits back down. But the, th- <laughs> the thing I like about that scene is um, Chris and Scott Thomas's face. Like just the acting she's doing with her face, her sort of like finger yeah. on her, her lips, like icy glare. I'm like, okay, sis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's great. I don't know, man. Uh, Chris has got, I, mean, I don't know what. Wait, why? okay. I can, I can make a quick connection for people mm-hmm. who are unfamiliar with Chris and Scott Thomas to something that everyone is watching or has watched recently. Fleabag. She is the woman oh. in Fleabag season two that um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge has a conversation with at the bar that she kisses when they're sort of like talking about bisexuality. Um, I'm mad. Like being uh, a woman and being born with yeah. pain and everything. I'm mad that that's a great season of television, you know. Yeah, it's my favorite season of television ever. <laughs> but I, I'm mad that Chris Scott, Scott, Scott Thomas didn't have, a, I don't know, a, a bigger career. A, well, I think a like a career. a career that let, um, came into now. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned uh, Deborah Carr at the top of the show, you know, like she, she really has... Chris Scott Thomas has those qualities, you know, that, that, that Deborah Carr did. She, she, should have, she should be a six-time nominee, if not winner, you know? know. She's oh, a phenomenal she's... actor, um, and she's great in this. I mean, she's just like an like, like a, you know, all-time great for me because of, of our association with this movie. And the way she plays Catherine Clifton, I mean, if we were to recast this, I don't know, I don't know who would, I mean, maybe Kate Blanchett. I don't know. I, I can't think of who would be yeah, perfect you, for this role. You know what's funny is I was thinking, like, probably Kate Blanchett because you know I think the world of her and think she can do mm-hmm. nothing wrong um but you know what I was also maybe thinking is like in maybe like five years maybe Margot Robbie Margot oh yeah Robbie like like carries the same like um sort of tall um elegant like jawline like looks good in a period wig type beauty that I think could like really pull this role off yeah I don't know I I, I agree I, I think also, Kristen Scott Thomas is definitely more grounded though She's definitely more grounded. She, she definitely pull off, maybe, and I'm not saying this about anything personal about Margot Robbie, but the characters she's played have not, haven't always been the sharpest tools in the shed, right? Like, like sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Her, her version of Sharon Tate, her, her, her version of Harley Quinn, her version of Leo's wife from The Wolf of Wall Street, right? Yeah, she, I mean, her, amalg- her amalgamation character in, the, in Bombshell, like she's always sort of like, Right. Um, she's probably a very smart actor and a smart human being, but she doesn't really play those kind of characters, unfortunately, yeah. and she, she should. Um, even like that sort of throwaway scene in the big short where here's Margot Robbie talking about this. Even, even Dennis seemed like she didn't know what the fuck she was talking about. Um, I, I, I like her a lot, but I don't know if she could like Yeah. yeah but-, um, but you're right. Though. She's almost too beautiful, too. There's something about Christmas Got Time and she's beautiful, don't get me wrong, but you buy that she's read um Herodotus and that she's she's uh mm, into classic mm-hmm. literature a certain way and she's also of a certain age right and, and you said it beautifully you said that Margot Robbie was a little bit uh older um yeah. I, I I like I mean, that Kristen that, was 36 when this movie came out so like she was like oh, perfect she, age. Was, she was a woman right she yes. wasn't like she was she a was young girl Ronan <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah or like Hannah I think Hannah is, is supposed to be in her early 20s if not you know I mean I don't know how old um she really was in the movie but but um, she's, not, she's not a girl. She's definitely not a girl. 
Yeah, I mean, even Julia, Juliana Minosh was like sort of young. I think she was probably like 31, 32, if I'm remembering yeah. how old she is in real life. But um, honestly, I, I can't say there's a, there's, a, there's a scene in this movie that I that I dislike. Dislike it. Yeah, tough. I mean, I agree. You I know agree. what I mean. It's it, this. This is tough with this movie. Yeah, it's it's um, the, it's like it would be one that we would be most inclined to skip in this case. <laughs> it's not one that we dislike or think is bad. Well, here, here's I'll tell you one thing. Um, and that it's not a knock on the on the film or the writing, but like there's so much going on with this film. Uh, mm-hmm. They also with the character of Kip, right? He's Sikh. He's Indian. Um, and uh, he's the same thing in the book as well. But um, they kind of they have this little scene in there where where it's really about colonialism, right? It's really about the British going to India and, and, and taking over. Um, it's him and, and Ray Fiennes talking about uh, something from some history book. But it's kind of like, we also need that. You, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I, feel like, I feel like we get it. We get it. He's this guy who, uh, it, it, this, is, this is still during, this is right. Actually, it's 1944 and suddenly, so India got its independence from, from the Brits in 47. So we're not far away from that. But he's this guy who cares about his duty. He works for the British Army. He's disarming yeah. bombs. I didn't know if we needed him to also have those sort of somewhat anti-colonialist um, feelings. You know what I mean? It didn't, it didn't really yeah. make sense for me. But well, Anthony Minghella is never it. one to like trim uh, his movies down. <laughs> that oh, moment. yeah. No. no they're, always, they're always long. Um, but I am down for that when it's warranted. Um, let's, um, let's jump to the awards report card. Cause we've sort of been dancing around, um, how critically acclaimed this movie was. Um, so this movie guys was nominated for 12, count them 12, um, Oscars at the 69th Academy Awards. Um, mm-hmm. it ended up winning nine, but before I get into like what it won, let me go through what it was nominated for. Okay. So best picture, best director, best actress, best actor, best supporting actress, um, and best Best actor was Rafe, best supporting actress was Juliet, and best actress was um, KST. Um, best screenplay based on material previously produced or published. That is what we now know as best adapted screenplay in 1996. Mm-hmm. That it was called, that's what it was called. Best art direction, which we know now in 2020 as um, best production design. Um, best cinematography, best costume design, best film editing, best original dramatic score. For those of you who aren't Oscars freaks like I am and Owe is, um, that score was not, didn't used to be combined. It used to be, um, comedic and dramatic score, um, LOL, and um, the, and also best sound. So it won all of those except best actress, best actor, and screenplay. Mm-hmm. So do you want to go through the, through each one real quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So best picture. Um, so best picture, uh, Jer- fellow nominees. Jerry Maguire. Oh. Yeah. Um, Fargo, Secrets and Lies, and Shine, I think, if I'm remembering. Yeah. And English Patient won, and it's the one that truly deserved it. Um, oh, from that group? Hell yeah. If you want to hop over to Best Director, same thing. Anthony Minghella won. Um, the mm-hmm. other nominees were, were the Coen brothers, Milos Forman, yeah. Mike Lee, and, and Scott Hicks. Scott great Hicks. directors. Great, great, great class to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have an issue with Best Actor. Now, the nominees that year were Jeffrey Rush for Shine. Who ended up winning. Yep, Tom Cruise for Jerry Maguire, Ray Fiennes mm-hmm. for The English Patient, Woody Harrelson, People vs. Larry Flint, which is a great Woody Harrelson uh, performance. I actually have, Billy, I haven't seen that one. It's great. And, and also stars um, Edward Norton. Billy Bob Thornton for Sling Blade, and Jeffrey Rush won. I'm not so and sure. And Billy Bob beat Anthony in screenplay that year. 
which I don't like that. I'll tell you why. Because that fucking screenplay was based on a short film that he himself wrote, which is an, an, an original. That makes no sense. It was, that. So that would not have happened in 2020 or 2019, I should say, because, and here's an example of why I don't think that would happen. Why? Um, Lulu Wong was being campaigned as original screenplay, despite mm-hmm. it being based off of an essay and um, episode of This American Life that she did for the same exact story. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. It wouldn't have happened. Anyway, I, got, um, I to gotta director. say, uh, well, back to the actor. I, I don't know or if actor, Jeffrey sorry. Rush. I don't know if Jeffrey Rush and Shine is better than Ray Fiennes in the English Patient because I want to talk about Ray Fiennes real quick. Ray Fiennes is playing two different, two very different versions of the same character. Yes, and you know, like how here's something that I noticed. You know, you know how like the flashback scenes are very warm. And very like oh yeah they're like saturated with like um yellows and oranges and reds yeah and very sapia heavy but count almacy he's a very cold guy he's very cold even though the colorings are very warm who is warm is catherine and there's that scene where in the plane and it catches fire mm, that's, that's great and and it, it's like he gets burned it's almost as if some of that warmth gets transferred from her to him and then the plane goes down now him as the english patient all uh, scarred and burnt he is now um, warmer, a warmer account, obviously, yeah, even the, though, yeah. and, and that's why I, it's, it's, like, it's like two different roles almost. And, and I think that he fucking killed it. I mean, he wasn't Ray Fiennes yet. And he also carried a two hour and 40 minute movie on his back. <laughs> Absolutely. Like he was, I, I know to American audiences, he, he was an unknown. I know that the Brits know who, who he is. Yeah. Um, and, for, and, and now like to sort of cue in some people who might not have um, been familiar with all of his work. We're talking about Voldemort here, people. Yeah. Yeah. He who shall not be named, but yeah. <laughs> exactly. Or um, G- M. Gustave in Grand Budapest, if you're a fan oh. of Wes, Wes Anderson's movies, or yeah. um, I'm trying to think of other stuff that people would know him from in mainstream culture. Well, he's, he's the new I mean, Schindler, in Schindler's List. Schindler's List, right. Now. Yeah, that, that was the big sort of uh, role for him that was like a, his standout. Did that come out the same year as, as Jurassic Park? It did, yeah, it did. Um, so anyways, uh, if we go to Best Actress, Frances McDormand won over Kristen uh, Scott Thomas. And I mm-hmm. think that, that was the right choice. Even though I love Kristen Scott Thomas, Frances McDormand killed it in Fargo. Yeah, she and I have, never seen, I have never seen a performance like that still to this day. It's right, so unique and like so idiosyncratic. I'm just like, what is this? And like, I mean, that's also a a, a toss up to the Coen Brothers, like their ability to write highly unique and highly specific screenplays. Oh, 100 percent. Um, best supporting actor Julia Binoche won, um, and I think she definitely deserved it. I'm looking at these nominees. Um, I don't think anyone was as stand out. They're all wonderful actresses: Barbara Hershey, Lauren Bacall, Joan Allen. Um, I don't think anyone of them were as standout as Julia yeah, Binoche. Again, it's like a star-making role almost. I mean, it really the, was. On, on the international stage. She's already totally. a known actress in, in France. Totally. Um, so best, and, she, and again, she like she opens and ends the movie. Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, dude, this thing that she's doing with her face, like it's fucking... Uh, I know. She's so... She is such a good face actress. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, she's a great face actress. Actually... Uh, Those eyes see, and that smile. Yeah, and the editor of the film... Um, Walter Murch said about her about editing this film is he after watching her scenes over and over again the editor has to rewatch and watch and right right movie. he said this giant Anthony, movie he said to Anthony Minghella he said there's something that happens to her face it changes color oh. whenever an emotion and Anthony Minghella was what he never even noticed it but someone like Walter Murch noticed it because he, he looks very keenly at, at seeing yeah. 
tech, whatever. And uh, when I was rewatching it this time, I was looking for it. I still couldn't see it, but it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's there. It's there. I don't have that eye, but it's there. It's there, you know? Yeah. Um, we already discussed, I'm not happy with the best adaptive screenplay going to Billy Bob Gordon. I think that... Um, look, I think that was, here, a, that was a legacy award before he had a legacy. <laughs> here are the other nominees. The Crucible. I mean, come on. That's based on a play. Um, Hamlet, it's fucking Shakespeare. Uh, Train Spotting, which is based on a novel, and English Patient. Those were the two I think um, would have been the top contenders. Uh, but I think the English Patient should have won and not um, Sling Blade. That's just me. Um, what else do we have down here? Let's see. What else did they get nominated for? Oh, Best Dramatic Score, English Patient, of course. Right? Oh, and there's there's a fun little um, anecdote about it winning Best Score, which its score is absolutely to die for. Oh, um, God, yeah. Andrew Lloyd Webber, who was accepting an Oscar that year for Best Original Song for the mm. song that he wrote for the Evita movie, You Must Love Me, mm-hmm. um, he said, uh, he, he like cracked a joke when he was accepting his award, like, oh, thank God um, the English Patient didn't have an original song or I wouldn't be standing up here. <laughs> <laughs> Because it was just like dominating that night. Oh yeah, definitely. You said what? Twelve not not nominations. Yeah, nine, and it won nine of the twelve. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, best sound, yes, absolutely. The English Patient. Uh, the other nominees was uh, were uh, Evita, Independence Day, The Rock, and Twister. Twister has a great, uh, great sort of sound sound thing going on with with it the hurricane. It does, yeah. With, with, with I mean, all of the stuff that they have to do in the English patient with the sandstorms and the, and the flights and the um, big dance scenes, like it definitely, I, I'm on board with that one. Best art direction, totally agree. Best cinematography, totally agree. Yeah, what you know what's it? funny is um, some of the other um, uh, art direction nominees were also like very um, now iconic movies like Avita with the Madonna version, yeah. Um, yeah. Romeo, Romeo plus Juliet, the Baz Luhrmann <laughs> yeah. version, and The Birdcage, which is also a movie I've talked about on this podcast. Um, yeah, we which are did. all um, sort of—I mean, in Hamlet too—but like, um, they're all sort of—they've uh, all aged into some sort of like either cult status or pop culture like uh, canon. So. It's yeah, cool to, it's cool to revisit that category. And if you wanted to hop over to the action horse in the feed, check out uh, uh, Carter and I did an episode, sort of like a in 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 memory of uh, Robin Williams, and uh, we did we chose the Birdcage to kind of dissect because we yes. love that movie of his. I mean, how can you not? Yeah. So uh, best film editing, uh, it won. I think it's great. You know what's really interesting? I um, I was looking at <laughs> this is funny, but I was thinking of, like my, my my tastes and my love for things. And uh, when I was scrolling down the Wikipedia page for that for that year's Oscars, I couldn't help but notice the in memoriam uh, section of it. And uh-huh. there's so many individuals in this that if you if you think about it, if you want to know who O is and like my taste, like I mean, look at Saul Bass, uh, Oscar-winning graphic designer, uh, Fred Zinnemann, great director, Christoph Kieslowski, Polish filmmaker, the producer of the Bond film, Albert Covey Broccoli. The actors Claudette Col- uh, Colbert and Marcello uh, Marciani and Tupac's Jacour. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Tupac was part of that in memoriam that year. <laughs> yeah, Tupac. I mean, these are all shit that I, these are all people whose work I love. And like the, that, that I, don't, I didn't remember it being as much of a tough year for me. But now that I look at this list, I'm like, damn, that, that probably was a tough year for uh, young O. Um, I mean, Fred uh, Zinnemann, the guy who did uh, From Here to Eternity. Yeah. To connected back it. to Deborah Carr. Um, Loves Zinnemann, yeah. What was I going to say? I was going to say something else about that year in terms of the Oscars. Um, I mean, it was like the year of the English Patient. 
Mm -hmm. for sure. That's like, that, that's the main takeaway from this Oscars. Or, um, it like was not even close. It, it was so far ahead of the pack in terms of wins and nominations. The next closest um, nominations were Fargo and Evita. Yeah. Evita, Fargo and Shine. Mm -hmm. And then the only other movie that took home more than one Oscar was Fargo. <laughs> Well, then, like, the year after this was Titanic, right? Where they also got nominated for, like, every fucking Oscar um, imaginable? I thought it was two years after this. Didn't uh, Titanic... Wasn't it 1999? No, 97, so... Oh, yeah, you're right. After, you're right. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah, and then and they won 12. This is back when uh, one movie would get nominated for everything and everything. I know. Now it's much more political. Now it's, like, let, let's spread the wealth. Yeah, that hasn't um, really happened since um, probably Lord of the Rings. That's probably the last big sweep. So I have, um, I've got a couple of theories about uh, English patients that I wanted to, to okay. talk to you Okay, absolutely flipping the script. You interview me, please. So I've got, if you, if you have some time, this, is, this, this might be a little bit, this might go a little long, but uh, if, if, you, if you'll bear with me. Yes, tell me. I've got a theory about the English patient. Well, I've got two theories, okay? Okay, um, I'm listening. I want to run this by you. So the first theory is, how in do this we know in this essay i will <laughs> the first theory is how how do we know that it's count almacy who is the english patient now i know that it is very clearly played by ray fines in burn makeup he's cooked he's fully well done um but i want to propose someone else all right now this, 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 this is this is this three points okay point number one who is the only other main character in the flashback love story of the film Right. Point number two, who is the only other character in the film more obsessed with Herodotus and the book, the histories of Herodotus than Ray Fiennes? I can literally quote Herodotus by campfire. Point number three, who is actually fucking English and not a Hungarian count that only speaks with an English accent is Catherine Clifton. My theory for many, many years is despite the fact that Ray Fiennes is playing at him, the English patient is actually Catherine Clifton. Think about it. The entire film still works. She's dying. And somewhere in her head, she's reliving her final days of passion and romantic love from the viewpoint of the man whom she loved and shared this forbidden love with. Now, the other theory that I have, right? What an is... interesting, interesting theory. <laughs> See, this is why I love to talk to you about movies because I would have <laughs> never thought about that. Well, I'm going I'm to blow your mind. The other theory that I have is how much of the flashback sequences are we really meant to believe? So, okay, so Caravaggio, because of like that great Tennessee Williams quote about memory. And so, uh, I want to hear about it. Give me a second. Let me, let me go through my facts. Yeah, yeah. Caravaggio says one thing about the past, about the English patient's past, and he's that he's a murderer. But the flashbacks tell us a different story. These are flashbacks slash visions slash hallucinations of a dying, fading human being. Right? If he subscribes to the theory that the second half of Hitchcock's Vertigo is the made-up hallucinatory conclusion of the story of a man lying in a coma, then you can, you know, possibly agree that we should take the events of the flashbacks in English Patient with the grain of salt. How do we know, as Caravaggio says, that the English Patient didn't kill the married couple of Jeffrey and Catherine Clifton? And I'll take it one step further, okay? Hear me out. Count Almacy loves Herodotus, right? So he carries his book through the desert, and it's all, it, it, he takes it with him with all his adventures, he writes in it. He has it with him in the, at the end. He has, Chris, he has what's her, Catherine put stuff in it. Absolutely. Herodotus wrote the work that he's best known for, the histories, in 440 BC, right? So the histories are 
a chronicle of the of the Greco-Persian Wars. And it was like the New York Times bestseller or something at that time. It was very popular, right? <laughs> so much so that Herodotus is called the father of history. Now, we, know, we now know, and certainly for some time, that Herodotus should have been called the father of speculative fantasy fiction because he really flowered the facts and, and added uh, fantastical elements to real events okay, to heighten them. I see them. where you're going with this. All right, all right. So as he saw fit, he would change facts around as he saw fit in his work. Herodotus is one of literature's first unreliable narrators. And I've always felt that who cares what the truth is, right? Like it's like that old adage, you know, like you gotta print the legend. That's what Herodotus does in the histories. He prints the legend. And that's what Almasy is doing on his deathbed, reliving the ideal version of the events. Interesting. Now I I I, I, I mean that one, we are, that one I'm definitely into. We're all unreliable narrators to some degree in our lives. We, we learn it from our parents. Like whenever my parents would talk about their childhoods and their early lives, I've always felt like I'm never getting the full story with them. And I think the best usage of that literary device is in, in modern films is something like Back to the Future. Like Marty and his siblings roll their eyes and whenever Lorraine tells them for like the hundredth time that something from when she and George were in high school. But like when Marty gets a chance to actually relive that, it, it's quite different. And also, can I go on a tangent here real quick? Absolutely. <laughs> this is funny because all these theories about the English patient obviously come from multiple viewings and cinematic dissection. You and I watch movies constantly. And after seeing it so many times, you can't help but like, start to like, open the story up a little bit. Mm-hmm. I rewatched the Back to the Future trilogy again with my kids. And I've always been interested in the mystery of the lost days in the week that Marty spends in 1955. How familiar are you with the week that Marty spends in 1955? Or Back to the Future. I have not seen that movie in over a decade. So over a decade. Okay. Well, I, I'm I'm going to break this down. I'm gonna, I'm going to do it in a way where, where hopefully you remember and our listeners will like it. This is right. this is this is my version of the events. <laughs> you know, what's so funny is I almost rewatched that. What? That's you weird. should. I should. It's on Netflix right now. Um, so the film begins, as we all know, on Friday, October 25th, 1985. Right? Marty's late for school. We meet Jennifer. He bombed at the at the band's tri- tryout. Right? At 1:16 a.m. Saturday morning, he meets up with Doc Brown at the Twin Pines Mall. The Libyans show up, Marty hops in the DeLorean, ends up in 1955, right? Saturday morning, November 5th, right? Yeah, yeah. So now we're in Saturday. He walks into Hill Valley, meets George McFly, chases him, gets hit with his grandpa's car, sleeps, wakes up some same day, Saturday night, in his mom's room, has dinner with the fam, goes to see Doc Brown, convinces him of the truth. Doc asks him if he's, in, if he's interacted with anyone from, from his future. He says he has. Doc gets worried and that he's altered his existence. And this is all still Saturday night, by the way, right? We cut to Doc and Marty roaming the halls of Hill Valley High looking for his parents. Now, unless they had school on Sundays, 1955, which they didn't, this is Monday morning. So what happened is Sunday? What, what, what happened? What did Marty do on Sundays? Now, we can assume that Marty spent the day shopping uh, for 50s clothing and getting into uh, understanding what life in the 50s is like. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so while they're in school, this is Monday morning, Doc sees the poster for the Enchantment Under the Sea dance, right? Which is this coming Saturday, which is almost a week later, right? Now, it's still right. Monday. Marty tries to convince George to ask Lorraine out, finds out his old man is into writing science fiction stories. There is the altercation with Biff in the cafeteria. Marty again chases after George. George refuses to listen. That night, Monday night, Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan visits George. The next day, Tuesday... George tells Marty he's ready. They go into the diner. Marty punches Biff. The skateboard scene happens. The manure happens. Afterwards, Lorraine follows Marty to Doc's lab, asks him that, right? All this is on Tuesday. 
We cut to several days later and Marty is going over the plans for George's heroic act where he, Marty, will make a move on Lorraine and George will come and save the day. I say several days later because they're doing laundry and it's daytime and they're not in school, which means it's the weekend. And since the dance hasn't happened yet, it's safe to assume it's Saturday morning, the day of the dance. The rest of it plays out in real time. But what happened to Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday? It's not, it's not a whole in, or a major plot point or anything in the movie. I'm just super uh, curious as to what transpires in that time frame. I can tell you that no video game or comic book or other media have ever used it as a mini adventure within the continuity. But if they wanted to, they could do it here. I'm really sorry that I wanted this tangent. <laughs> no, I, that, that is, I can't, it, it's so funny how we got from the English station to the last week and back to the future. But I, I, you really did connect the dots there for yourself. Yeah, I did. I did. But it, um, it, 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 it's, it's, you know, it's just, it's just from watching movies so many times, you can't help. But, oh, like, totally. Know. It's like how I somehow connected blue is the warmest color to that English patient. <laughs> yeah, um, which is a great connection. Um, wait, but I actually, I love that um, idea about unreliable narrators. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to um, recount this, this um, quote from Glass Menagerie that goes like, um, the scene is memory and is therefore non-realistic. Memory takes a lot of poetic license. Um, it emits some details, others exaggerated according to the emotional value of the article it touches for memory is seated predominantly in the heart, right. which is basically this whole movie. He's like remembering from his heart. He like, and, and, and in that way, it is very easy to call him the like unreliable narrator. Oh I yeah. Never, I mean, I never really thought of that until literally right now. Well, I, I, had, I thought of it a little bit last night as I was rewatching it. I was like, Hmm, is he like maybe remembering this in the most idealistic way possible? Is he like sort of crafting what could have been? But then I'm like, um, well, if it was what could have been, like wouldn't he have just remembered her alive? <laughs> well, I mean, also like he says, maybe, maybe so-and-so, maybe, maybe this thing belonged to my wife, you know? Yeah. So you were married. I don't know. I think I may have, you know? And it's like, yeah. he even says like, like, like what does it matter? I'm going to die anyways. But you're right. Memory is very unreliable. Memory, think about like the first time you fell in love, right? Like uh, you may have fallen in love. The other person may not have it. And when you talk about that memory, it's different for you from you than, than it is for them. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. There's this great movie by, by Kurosawa. It's a Japanese film called Rashomon. Where it's of like, course, of course. Three, four different four, versions. Four different versions of the same event. And none of them are... Are, are, are false none of them are right right it's and that's and that movie that movie has you know sort of inundated pop culture and becoming known as the Rashomon effect where like you have four different accounts of something and like oh, who, yeah. who's are you supposed to believe or like any number of accounts I should say yeah and then the, so, the great thing about about how Kurosawa sets that movie up is up to you to interpret it whatever you want so I like to interpret it the way that for the for the most part the film is shown but I love in certain viewings thinking about it as if what if this is Catherine Clifton you know, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah, what if oh she's, God, I, she's okay. Now I have to go rewatch it again and think about it like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of, kind of, I feel like it's kind of left, uh, kind of left up to, up to whatever. And then, yeah. yeah. So I, I love this movie, man. There's so many different factors, aspects of it that we, we can get into if we wanted to. Yeah. It, it, it really does like, I was so happy when you like shortlisted this one as one of the like movies that you thought we could discuss today because I, I like always now compare um, romance movies. Like, like I was saying, like I don't always like run to like a 90 minute romance movie because if I'm going to watch a romance movie, I want it to be like big and epic. Oh yeah. Um, 
And so I, I like this kind of like, like I feel like so many romance movies nowadays, especially like if you watch movies about the queer experience or like modern love stories, like they always sort of end and it's not like a rom-com. They end sort of tragic. There's like always sort of an element of tragedy. And of course there's that in the English patient, but mm-hmm. again, like, like the ending it with the love letter and it like, it, it sort of like uses a lot of, um, plot devices of romance movies, but like not in a way that feels overly saccharine or unearned. It's mm-hmm. like, um, and now I'm just like constantly comparing <laughs> romance well, to this one. That that final letter also goes goes back to my theory of it being Catherine Clipton because it's actually her writing it in the cave right. as, yeah. as lights going out, and then it's 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 again her on the bed listening reading it or listening to it as she's fading away. So I mean, you know, it is what it is it's a theory. It's not to be true, but you're right, romantic, I want them to be charted love affairs. I, I want them to be long and drawn out. We don't make epics like that anymore. If no, do, I was they're... just, oh my, I was literally just going to say that. Like, no one is yeah. spending the money to make these kind of movies anymore. No, I mean, with practical effects, if they do do it, it's like with a lot of like CGI and special effects, whatever. But yeah. it, this is a weird uncanny valley feeling with it. It doesn't really feel real. This was really, you're out in Italy, you're out in Northern Africa, you're actually shooting this, you know. Um, and, and if you think about like, like you were just saying with practical effects and everything like this movie was made 25 years ago almost yeah so like you have to like think about the technology that was available and then you're like oh wow you get like even more um appreciation for the movie yeah i mean and it holds up dude 25 years it's like it could have been made five years ago it's beautiful yeah it's beautiful um okay so we love this movie obviously um (laughs) but if others love this movie what might something be that they would love like if if you liked the English Patient, what might you also like? You got a recommendation, same vein. Well, I mean, I, 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 mean, I would. The one of the first ones that came to mind was Cold Mountain, and obviously because they like share a director, but it's also like that big, long, epic, period, um, yeah. drama piece. I I would definitely check out more work by Anthony Minghella, R.I.P. Uh, Cold Mountain's up there for me. Um, Cold Mountain and... was the first movie that you. Um, pointed out to me the um the like the the uh effectiveness of like shooting a good war scene like with the ground moving oh yeah like if if, if you read about if you read about um trench warfare i mean they would they would like dig holes and like it, it, blow it, it, put like bombs on them yeah yeah it'd be like little caves and stuff underground so when when a bomb would go off the entire ground would oh, rise shoot. up because it's like it's, it's all it's, it's just shitty ground now so yeah um and he shows that in in the film, I think it's beautiful. Um, yeah, that one, the talented Mr. Ripley. Um, as far as sweeping romances, man, it, it's it's. I, I would go back. I, I would go to Doctor Zhivago. You know, I, oh, I would. Good one. I, I, I would go with stuff like that because it's it's. Um, and from here to eternity. I mean, we mentioned that a couple times already. Um, films like that, man. Like I, I, because it's again, it's practical. You're you're actually out there shooting, and it's it's real, and you know. Acting is different too than it is now when you're acting in a warehouse uh, against green screen versus when you're out there and act like in a monument right. alley or whatever. Like it's, it's different. It really you know? does make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. He was talking, uh, there's an interview with Anthony Minghella talking about Julie Binoche uh, specifically. And he was saying that if, if you ask her to look at a tree, you, you've got to have a real tree there. You, yeah. you know, like that's her acting style. And it's like, I was thinking about that and I was like, lamenting that sort of style of, of directing an actor because now it's like totally imagine there's a tree here but you're actually gonna see green screen but it's right, a tree, right. you know right. and they kind of have to so. yeah i mean and of course like i i, I would be you know um 
silly to not mention Titanic because they do check a lot of the same boxes. Titanic is a wonderful film, man. I mean, and, and again, I, I also was like, uh, for many years, like, oh, Titanic, come on, you know, young Leo, yeah. it's sort of, but when you watch that movie, I was talking to my friend Andy about this uh, recently, and Andy was talking about how uh, the moment the iceberg hits, um, things really do change in the movie. The music, the score changes, the, the way the color grading of the film changes, but also it's like a loss of innocence. Like they, she's literally lost her innocence in that moment in, 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 that, in the backseat of that car uh, just moments before. But literally when that ice uh when it kind of breaks and then you see pieces of it on the ship whatever it's like things something has been ruptured you know and um yeah it's like you know it's it's it, the second half of it is my favorite uh, in different times in my life i've liked the first half of it it's a different time in my life, I like the back half of it um it is a great movie don't get me wrong it's just not it wouldn't be my go-to recommendation for like i mean randomly but yeah. you're right, dude. It does check a lot of the boxes. It is a sweeping epic. It is practical. I mean, there was CGI in it, but it's like early 97 CGI where they actually built sets for this, which is, which is great. And like, yeah. kind of turned them over. And um, Titanic would be a great pick for this as well. Um, and then I was sort of just thinking like in general, like um, sort of romance movies, just sort of in general, like <laughs> romance movies that are over two hours. Um, it's some ones that came to mind, like, I don't know if you would agree with any of these, but in terms, again, of practical effects, big sets, brilliant acting, um, ahead of its time direction, Brokeback Mountain checks a lot of oh, the same boxes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Beautiful, sweeping, sweeping movie. Sweeping, um, sort of color graded the same way oh, as, yeah. like the, as the like Italian scenes yes. um, by the great Ang Lee. Um, and then another one that I was thinking in terms of, you know, like long, and this is like a little bit more of a left field recommendation, but Handmaiden has that same sort of like three act feel. Um, that's a, that's a Korean movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of like a bisexual, psychosexual melodrama, mm-hmm. but it is like, it's big and, um, specific and, um, uh, pulsing. It's like, I think that one would maybe check a lot of the same boxes for people. And then in terms of like the theatricality or like the, the, the larger than life elements, you know, I was sort of thinking was Moonstruck. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like, with this Cher? Movie, with Cher and Nicolas Cage, I was like, this movie yeah. is like also larger than life, but you can't help but like totally yeah. buying in. Yeah. That's a Which hot is, take. You know, comparing- Patrick, John Patrick <laughs> Shanley. I know the English patient in Moonstruck. I don't know why that came to me. No, it's great. I love this. This is why I love talking about you because, you know, like it's, it's like what you wouldn't expect comes out of your mouth, which is great. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, and then to sort of wrap in like some of the things we've been talking about in terms of, you know, people we love and movies we love, if we're just going to like fill the romance box, you might want to check out um, Paul Thomas Anderson's Phantom Thread. Oh I think that's God, like yeah. one of his finest works to date. And it is like a true romance movie. It's mm-hmm. also like hyper specific in terms of social circumstance. Um, and then in the mood for love, of course, it's just like one of the greatest romances of all time. Yeah, no, and also uh, Phantom Thread is like is like DDL's last movie. I always thought D- uh, Daniel Day Lewis could have played DDL. I love that. Yeah, I, I could. I, I always thought he, he, that he, he could have played if it wasn't for Ray Fiennes, he could have played Count Amasi. Oh, that's, right? that's a good recast. Yeah, like it, it's uh, yeah, I think he, he, he could, not anymore. He not, absolutely like could have. Yeah, back in '96. And he'd be so great right. in it. Could you believe like he that could. I think the only time he has ever done like a real romantic, romantic sweeping movie. Oh, this is this will be a recommendation. Is *The Last of the Mohicans*. Oh, *Last of the Mohicans*, okay. starring oh, DDL. Yeah, 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 great romantic sweeping epic, and uh, that's a beautiful movie too. And, and yeah. there's a lot of like you know, uh, *Stay Alive*, *I'll Come Back for You* type of thing in, in, in *Last of the Mohicans* too. 
great recommendation. Then I want to go back and start watching some of these. Again. Yeah, those were like really all over the map in terms of how they connect to English patients. But I was like, you know what? Those are kind of good. Especially Moonstruck. Moonstruck, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Listen, if we could get to English patient, if we could get to um, Back to the Future from English patient, I think Moonstruck <laughs> is in the realm of possibility. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right. Oh, did you have anything else you wanted to add about this movie? Uh, also, man. Did we mention that it was um, on the um, British Film Institute's list of um, greatest British films of the 20th century? It was number 55. Did we mention that? I don't know. No, if we, did, we didn't mention that. No, and th- th- that's a But there's a fun deal. fact. <laughs> yeah, because they only do that every 10 years. The last time they did that was 2012. So we got yeah. one coming up in a couple of years. But they, that's an amazing list where they ask all, all the great directors and critics what the, the best films are. And famously, last time, last time they did it in 2012, Citizen Kane got knocked out of number one place by, by Vertigo, actually. Um, oh, so, so that was, I think, was that... Um... The Sight and Sound... Uh, it's a BFI Sight and Sound magazine's top 100 of all time. Oh yeah, at, oh of all time. Okay, this was a this was a. Um, I don't know where English Patient ranks on that li- that list. That this was just 20th century. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, we should we should do an episode special just like our, our favorite 20th century movies. Oh, <laughs> you, like, know, you know I have a list. <laughs> I, I know I know you do. I can't wait to see it. To uh, see it. Me and all my lists. Yeah. Um, I, um. Okay. Anyway, was there anything you wanted to add before we? No, I mean, I, I think we, we got to a lot of it, honestly. And the, and the moment that we're going to, that we end this, I'm going to come up with like 15 different things. Right. Just te- and text each other, you. yeah. Um, but if anything else comes up, we'll always, we can always like a part two, you know? So Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's, this was great fun, man. I love this movie. I love talking about movies with you in general, but I love that we chose this one and we both uh, see eye to eye. Yes. And, uh, I mean, I remember just to like wrap things up, I remember watching it for the first time and coming to work and being like, oh. I just watched mm-hmm. The English Patient and I was sort of just like sitting in silence, like, yeah, just like yeah. agreeance of, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can I just say something about what, what I miss about working with you? Tell me. Spending I, entire breaks talking about the same movie. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you, at the top of the show, you were talking about how we became fast friends and we connected on movies. And I always look forward to sitting with you uh, on, on our break time. The only problem with that was um, you are like, what I like to call a dick magnet. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened is I'd be sitting there and I'd see you walk in and I'd be sitting by myself, right? No one really talked to me uh, in, our, in our break room. I'd see you come in and I'm like, yes, someone's here that I can talk to. You'd come and sit down and within the space of 12 seconds, we'd have 15 <laughs> other individuals hovering around us, amongst <laughs> us, sitting, and you were the reason why. You're like a... a, a they're like mods to a flame. You were the flame. <laughs> and I was, I was, I ended up the only straight, straight guy. I went from being the straight guy, only straight guy at all, then to, to being the only straight guy amongst I'm 15 dying. gay guys. So I that. that's my, that, that, that's what one thing that I, I, I truly miss. And when I think of you, I think of you as, um, in, in all seriousness, you're, you're kind of like the, um, you're kind of like an oracle, you know, people will come in and, and seek you out and, and, and find you. And I'm glad that you're doing this great podcast. I have great fun listening to it. And I'm, I'm really, I feel honored that I'm on it as well. And, and, and would love to come back. Well, thank you. That means so much to me more than you would ever know. Um, I'm so happy that you came. Um, guys, if you're not listening to action Orson, what the fuck's the wrong with you? Go look it up <laughs> on Apple podcasts. Um, and hopefully you will hear a familiar voice on there soon. Um, <laughs> oh, this has been such a joy. I'm so happy to have you on. This has been Likewise. the crossover that everyone's been waiting for. <laughs> um, I'm so um, glad we did this. It was wonderful to speak with you. Me too. See All right, ya. guys, go watch The English Patient if you haven't. Bye. Bye.